the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot more information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to We Get Real AF. I'm Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. Please remember to subscribe to We Get Real AF wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and be sure to spread the word about us and our mission. We're excited to welcome today's Boss Babe guest. She is an author with 20 books under her belt, a CEO, data privacy expert, and fellow podcaster of the Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, Rebecca Harold. Rebecca, welcome to WeGraph. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here to chat with you today. Thank you. So first of all, we want you to um, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, where they can find you on social and where they can find your new book and when. Yes, definitely. So um, online, you can find me on Twitter at privacyprof, P-R-I-V-A-C-Y-P-R-O-F. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just look up Rebecca Harold. You'll find me. Um, I'm on Facebook. Again, just look up Rebecca Harold if you want to add Des Moines, Iowa. That's where I'm based. You can find it there. And then uh, I also have a YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor. You can see some of my keynotes and also uh, my TV appearances on uh, the local channels. Awesome. So talk to us about why we need to be concerned about data privacy. Just for people who don't know a lot about this, how big is the problem and why do we need to be aware? Well, it is a problem. So many people, and you've probably heard this before, they say, I don't have anything to hide, so why do I need to worry about privacy? Well, what they're hitting upon when they say that is really only the confidentiality portion of privacy. And privacy is so much more than just not allowing people to see what you're doing. Privacy involves actually taking your personal data and using it for other purposes or taken completely out of context so that when they take that information that really they maybe shouldn't have access to, like your health data, um, and using it for other purposes, such as determining if you should get a job or not, or if you, if you should get a loan, it's that misuse and misinterpretation of your personal data that is a part of privacy that can really have long um, time damaging repercussions. Rebecca, um, you know, a lot of us are working from home and I know your most Mm. recent book, you touched on uh, data security and privacy for working from home. What are some examples of vulnerabilities that we now have when we're working remotely? Well, there are many, and you know, so many organizations have, had to go into this work from home uh, mode in a very quick manner. So they didn't really think about getting things set up and telling and, and giving training to their employees to know what to do to secure their home environment. If you shared the meeting information uh, in a public area, such as on 
Facebook or, you know, Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. Um, people can be uh, snooping in on those meetings that you weren't aware of. So like if I was someone malicious and I wanted to know about this very juicy sounding meeting that's going on with a bank, I'm, I saw the meeting information online. I could get on there and you might not know because you didn't know how to set up the security controls correctly. You might not know I'm on there. You might not know that I'm watching you and I can see where your window is at. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a first floor window. And I know where she's at because I see this map that shows exactly where they're located. And I see she's got some pretty nice looking stuff in that room. So, you know, beyond just the the security of the information uh, and the, the privacy issues, it's also a physical safety types of things. So that's just one example of, you know, what could be literally hundreds of other examples that I'm providing in my new book about why you need to think about establishing these security and privacy controls in so many organizations haven't yet because they're just trying to keep their business going. What are some inconspicuous um, just household items that you might have, you know, something that anybody listening to our show that could be really relatable that may not think that they are at risk at all? Can you name some of those? Oh, certainly. So uh, right now, what's very popular are the Internet of Things or smart gadgets that people have in their homes. They have security tools such as Nest and Ring and so many others that maybe people haven't thought about um, inside their rooms. They have baby monitors. Uh, Those are some digital spies that you don't think about. And certainly there are ways to use those freely available tools such as Shodan uh, and Weebly. And I won't get into the technical details of that, but these tools are fairly easy to use to find open cameras in these baby monitors and in-room security cameras uh, to be able to actually see what's going on. I actually found people who had them in the rooms where they were working. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I like to use a big old monitor on my desktop because it makes it easy for me to see everything. Well, guess what? It makes it easy to see uh, (laughs) from across the world uh, someone else who might have found your open camera if you did not put sufficient security or privacy on there. And I can tell you that these cameras do not generally come with security on them by default. So people don't put passwords and they don't put encryption on there. And then all of a sudden they're doing work and not only do they put themselves at risk, but also their business at risk because people can potentially see what they're doing on their screens or listen to their phone calls. So you you mentioned two things, and just for our listeners and also for my own edification, Shodan and Weebly, I think you said. Yes. Um, so walk me through, if I'm a hacker, mm-hmm. I assume these are software programs that I can use that identify open systems out there in people's homes and hone in on them, or how does that work? Yes. So Wiggly, uh, W-I-G-L-I, it's a freeware tool. It's a software tool. It's been around for a long time. Everybody's got Wi-Fi networks now, or most people do. Do they have the security set up correctly in them? 
Usually not. And with Wiggly, these tools will show you the exact location of those, what I'm calling the open access points, which basically are doorways into your Wi-Fi networks. So through these, through Wiggly, it coupled with Google Earth is very easy to map where all of these open access points are. And not only does it show you where they are, it will tell you more things about what type of Wi-Fi router is being used. Uh, it will tell you if they are using encryption, what level of encryption, because some encryption is really easy to break. So, you know, that's just kind of off to the side, very easy. So Shodan is different because, you know, Wiggly is you're out within the vicinity but with Shodan, I can look for these open access points through the internet. So these are things that are actually attached to the internet. I can look anywhere in the world and find them. If I wanted to look in your particular zip code area, I could do that. And when I see where these open access points are, then I can start using, you know, my own other tools that I have and more freely available ones to go in and start saying, oh, well, let's look in on these um, open cameras that are inside the homes in December of 2019 why there were reports about the little girl who had somebody talking to her in the room and she didn't know who it was. And they said, this is Santa Claus. Trust me, I'm your friend. And she's like, well, where are you? Well, I'm Santa. I, I know everything. Well, guess what? That could have been someone on the other side of the world who found that particular camera and decided that it would be fun to talk to a, a little girl in the room. But Although that particular situation did not result in something harmful, people who want to do harm usually aren't going to announce themselves. Hackers get very rich um, by being hired by, by organizations and sometimes legitimate organizations to do competitive research. So that's something else you need to think about when you're working from home. So I've got a question regarding, you know, let's say you have this inkling or a you hear the Santa Claus voice that's not supposed to be happening from your device, right? Or coming through right. from your device. Can someone come in, uh, you know, whether it be law enforcement or investigation, and track the hacker from like the one that came into your system or to that cracked the code to get into your internet to, to do that? Yes. So the FBI, um, the United States FBI for our international um, listeners, they actually do have on their site a place where you can submit reports of what you might um, be concerned about as being either a hacker or maybe someone's not doing security correctly or privacy correctly. Uh, so the FBI has a place where you can submit this. The Federal Trade Commission in the United States, the FTC, on ftc.gov. They also have on their site a place where consumers can submit their concerns. So don't don't be afraid to submit it uh, if you find something. I know a lot of people are very hesitant to submit this type of information, but you know it, it's something that uh, if you aren't aware of a problem, the problem will only get worse instead of better. Definitely. Yeah. How do you know that you're being hacked? Like, or, or, I mean, other than hearing a creepy voice coming out of your child's um, device saying that Santa Claus, 
you know, or, or getting some sort of threatening email? Are there subtle things that we should be looking out for? Yes. Well, first of all, before you even start using these, you want to first try to stop or prevent those things from happening. And that just does not happen enough. So when you are installing your ring system, your um, other types of Nest or your nanny cams or anything else internally, these smart devices, you need to make sure that you establish the security and privacy controls within those devices. And and I, I've spoken with so many consumers over the years. I've been putting out a free um privacy professor tips message each month since 2007. And a lot of people get those and I try to make them aware of this. And a lot of times uh, my readers come back and say, I didn't even know. I, I just assumed that those controls and settings were made before I used them. So I didn't even know I needed to go set them. So make sure you you change, first of all, if there is a password for a device, change that password. Here's, here's another thing I've heard a lot of times over the years. They say, well, that's a good password. It's long and it's, it's complex. And my point back to them is, yeah, but you know what? That same exact password is being used for that same device that hundreds of thousands of people are buying. So <laughs> it's not secret. You need to choose a, a good, long, strong password. Two-factor authentication added on top of that if you can. And by that, I mean when you uh, want to change your password or use it, somebody sends you, the, the company, the vendor sends you like a code to your your phone or to your email to enter to uh, go in and make changes to that. So use a strong password and then use encryption. This is so important. So many people don't use encryption for that example I gave you. If they had required a strong password and then encrypted the images that were coming through those cameras, that person would not have, number one, gotten into that room to begin with. Or if they had been able to get into the room, if the the transmission was encrypted, they wouldn't have been able to see what's in that room. So if they didn't know a little girl was alone in her bedroom, they probably wouldn't have started trying to speak with her uh, and say that they were Santa Claus. They would have just seen darkness and said, oh, well, I'll go on to somebody else's house that's not using security. So I, clearly, if you have a device, it's a smart device connected to your internet, we're vulnerable. And mm -hmm. you've mentioned a few things that we can do to minimize our risk. I have a question about these things that aren't quite quote unquote smart, that aren't connected to your internet, mm. but still have like a channel, a wave, whether that be audio or audio and visual. Mm -hmm. what, what type of things are we open to or susceptible to with those uh, devices? The good old Alexa echo, right? Or the Alexa dot. It's listening all the time. And, you know, the, the security within those devices are only as good as the thoroughness of the engineers who designed the device. And I can tell you, uh, you know, I've been in the IT field my entire adult career, and I started out as a systems engineer. So I know the importance of designing and testing thoroughly. Well, with Alexa, you know, the, the folks at Amazon who you know, have their engineers, they did a good job, but you're never 100%. So what you got to realize is 
just think about it with Alexa or any Google Home. I don't want to, you know, single out just one company. There's a lot of these devices, but, you know, the Google Home and Alexa are the most used. So any of these listing devices, if they say that they will only start recording when they hear the uh, keyword or or the wake up word, keep in mind, how do they hear that wake up word? They're listening <laughs> and there have mm-hmm. been design flaws in those devices where actually those recordings were being made, not only uh, because of a, a design flaw, but misunderstanding of conversations in the room. So, you know, you've probably seen those published reports about somebody receiving hundred, you know, thousands of dollars worth of dog food or whatever, because Alexa heard somebody say something and misinterpreted what was said into a command to order thousands of dollars of dog food. And all of a sudden it was delivered. You need to keep in mind that these devices are not a hundred percent accurate. And if they're listening for you to say something, that means they are potentially recording what you are doing. So that's why it's so important when you're working from home or even in your own home environment. Like what I do is I completely unplug my device when I want to make sure that nobody can actually mistakenly hear what is being said in the vicinity. If you have someone coming into your home digitally or in person and you don't want your conversations being accidentally recorded, unplug those devices. You don't need to have those devices plugged in and listening when you're doing something. It's safe. It 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 might take you an extra 15 to 20 seconds to unplug it, but hey, what's your privacy worth? What's your your business worth that you are talking about with these devices in your room? That is such a great point. Um, and you know, Vanessa and I have talked about this before too. It seems like we have to decide what's more important to us, convenience or privacy, because it seems Mm -hmm. like when one goes up, the other goes down Mm -hmm. in either direction. And so that's just something that people have to be aware of, to your point, Rebecca, all the time. Another device I've heard can be hacked that I had no idea, but um, does emit radio waves or some type of wave when you think about it is uh, key fobs. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Well, yeah, typically key fobs are Bluetooth types of transmissions. That's different than your Wi-Fi router types of transmissions. But those Bluetooth transmissions, some of those are set up so that they can be transmitted very long distances now. I have my office in the third floor of my home and there's a street out front, um, you know, beyond my yard. The actual key fob that has the Bluetooth transmission, it could actually possibly be picked up by my neighbors across the road or anybody walking their dogs or or jogging on the sidewalk. And I wouldn't know it. So, you know, a lot of people say, ah, but what's the, you know, who cares about what's going on in your house? Well, if I knew a CEO of a large corporation lived in a home. And if I was malicious or if I wanted to steal trade secrets and I knew that there was a key fob there because there's tools to discover that again, um, I just walked my dog back and forth until I was able to see how to get into the house and then, you know, target it in that way. Those types of things have happened. And I know a lot of people, when I 
just the general public when they hear this they're like oh that's so tom clancy or that's you know who would do that that's just like something out of fiction well you know oftentimes uh fiction becomes reality and you just need to stay aware when we're in a digital world um you have to stay vigilant in making sure that uh, what you're doing is done right. Did you watch for somebody walking their dog back and forth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please be concerned. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. He, that person is not on a loop. They're on a mission. <laughs> right. yeah. Hey, everybody. Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. One thing I feel that most people use very regularly is GPS. I'd love to hear what you have to say about GPS tracking and how vulnerable we are and how I'd love to know how we can protect ourselves and minimize our risk when we're using GPS. Most apps that I've seen actually track your GPS. And a lot of people don't realize that. People are downloading things like these silly quizzes and so on that are collecting your GPS. And guess what? When people download these apps, and I want to talk about this because I see this as a huge problem and it relates directly to your GPS. So many people download their their apps, especially free ones, willy-nilly. And they if they use it once, they're like, oh, I don't like that. I'm not going to use it again. And then they forget about it. If you forget about an app and it's on your phone, hey, it's still collecting things. It's still potentially transmitting out. So you need to, to completely uninstall those apps to limit that GPS uh, collection. Now, others of your listeners might be saying, well, what, what's the big deal? If you have your GPS, not only can that tell you about where you're at, but just think about it. Um, you can tell if somebody's going to the mental health clinic every Wednesday at 10 a.m. And if if somebody knows, why are they going to a mental health clinic? They must have problems. There's a lot of assumptions that can be taken from that. Or they're going to the oncology clinic um, every day at a certain time. Oh, my gosh, they have cancer. Well, if that information is collected by life insurance or health insurance organizations, and this does happen, um, how can that potentially be used to be incorporated into consideration for premium costs and so on? Another one that I think is important has to do with the stalker. It's a lot of times people view the GPS tools and the apps as stalkerware because this is something that has been a long time concern and you know when someone actually um, is able to see where you're at and maybe they're stalking you and they have ideas for harm involved that that has put people into positions where they were assaulted or even where they were killed. And I've been an expert witness in cases involving these types of situations, but um, one had to do with a person uh, who gave a smart toy to their child and they 
actually made sure that they had access into uh, the data that went up to the cloud where the smart toy information was stored. So they use that to not only listen in to the conversations that the child was having with the toy and with the people in the room, but it also showed where they were at. So that helped that person to stalk and assault um, their former partner. I guess a big point I want to make to your listeners is it's not just about the purpose for which that data is being collected, like location. It's about the context within which that data is being used and the insights it gives to people's lives. So, you know, you need to think beyond just that particular piece of data and think about the entire ecosystem of where that data is being used and how it could be used in harmful ways. You know, another thing, like I'm sitting here, I just got um, a a wearable device that helps track my fitness and my calorie expenditure and my strain and all this data about my health, which is really helpful to me as I'm trying mm-hmm. to get more fit. But I, I'm guessing that you're going to tell me that's another <laughs> um, <The> portal, <laughs> portal. Well, <laughs> to the dark side. <laughs> it is a portal. But you know, here's the thing. There's this um, kind of paradox because they're helping people to be healthier. But On the other hand, they can be used in ways that also target people. This has been a problem, like especially with professional sports. You know, uh, sports players having their contracts renegotiated because of data coming back from these trackers on their health. Um, Or, you know, also, especially with betting, oftentimes the the odds could be impacted on the data coming from smart helmets that that actually report back data about that person's, you know, physiology and their heart rate and their their respiration and things like that. So it's all these ways in which data can be used in for things that the typical general user of those items have no idea that that data could be used for and with artificial intelligence now can be used even in in really wilder, um, unthought of ways. I'd love to cover the difference between being connected to Mm Wi-Fi as opposed to LTE and how your um, risks change because obviously when you've talked about minimizing your risk when you're connected to wi-fi secure network authentication and you can do that like what is it called double authentication Mm -hmm. Um, so when you're on lte and you're not connected to a network that has a password and you're just kind of open (laughs) how Mm -hmm. does our risk change and how can we minimize our risk when we're using lte um, as opposed to a wi-fi connection so let's say you go to a public library or you're in a coffee shop and you know it's like oh i'm gonna just use my phone to get online i'm lte i don't have to worry about things well what if the location where you're going to on that phone is on the internet and it's has the ability to connect all these other types of networks into it all of a sudden what you had is what you think is separate has now been incorporated into this much larger, humongous 
ecosystem of many different types of networks just all connected together. So what you can do about that, you need to make sure, like back to the coffee shop example, you still need to, to use passwords, even no matter what type of network you're on. Use passwords, use multi-factor authentication or two-factor like you mentioned earlier. That helps to slow people down, but encryption, you need to make sure that strong encryption is being used because that way, if people who are on the LTE, who are beside you uh, in the coffee shop or sitting in the at the waiting gate in an airport, so they can't use still free tools, there's tools for that too, where uh, you can see what's going across that transmission. So, you know, when it comes to technology, you have to assume that uh, basically if there's any transmission of any type going on, that that transmission could potentially be intercepted. So how do you encrypt? Like I know how to do the two-factor authentication and mm -hmm. set passwords, obviously, but encryption sounds like another level. Where do we go? Yes. To encrypt. That's what oh. I that was my next question. It's like, what, <laughs> what do I need to go? Where do I need to go where I know no matter what I do on my phone, whether I'm connected to Wi-Fi or LTE, I'm encrypted no matter what. So is yes. it something you have to do each time or is it something you set, like set it and forget it? Well, you know, a lot of times it depends upon your device. So some devices actually come with that capability built in. So you need to go to the controls on your device to see if that has been built in. A lot of the late generation phones and, and computers, uh, tablets, those do have it built in. Now, it's not turned on by default, usually, but um, it's it's built in. So, you know, go and make sure you turn it on. Now, for some that aren't as late generation, you you may not have that built in. There's freeware versions of it. It's called Pretty Good Privacy, PGP. Um, that's something that you can look at uh, online and download some of that free. And I believe they do have different versions for Apple and Android and Windows. And what's good is a lot of your listeners might be thinking, well, how do I install it? I'm not a tech person. A lot of these tools now are made so that they're very um, user-friendly. So a lot of times it, the, the user interface is such that when you download it, it really does step you through how to... Uh, to implement it. The key is you want to make sure that you're not downloading something that professes to be encryption that's actually malware. So just let me back up a little so I understand this. So first of all, you know, we want to um, obviously install passwords. We want to delete any apps that we're not currently using. We enable two-factor authentication. And then we look, I assume, in the privacy section of our settings on our devices to see if there is an option for encryption. And would it say encryption or encrypt? Or is there a word we should be looking for? Yeah, it should say encryption. Now, okay. some of the devices might say something like confidentiality. But uh, I, the most that I've seen do say encrypt or encryptions. Okay. okay. And then we also unplug our Alexas and Echoes when we're not using that. Right. Yes. And um, what else, Rebecca? What else oh, I, I was going to, I had a question, Rebecca, and I think mm -hmm. I know what you're going to say, <laughs> but I, I'm like world's worst when it comes to this. 
same passwords across the board. Ah! Okay. So the thing is, like, you don't, I mean, everyone knows how annoying it is. Every Mm -hmm. time you have to change it up. And I understand it's security Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to protect us more. But like, for me to remember 10,000 mm-hmm. passwords yes. for every application or for every device I use is not the most convenient thing. So what are your um, solutions to that problem? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Well, this is a, you know, this problem has been around for a very long time and it it's just getting more complex. I mean, personally, I have uh, probably over a hundred uh, passwords myself and it, it's hard. How do I keep track of all that? Well, I do a variety of different things. So um, first of all, let me start with the most simple where you start thinking about if you want to have the same password for certain types of services uh, or something like that, that's better than having the same for everything. So if you want to start out with, you know, small steps of getting better, have a password maybe for Facebook and for uh, Twitter, but use a completely different one for your online banking and your financial organizations. And then use something completely different for your retail sites that you use, or also something completely different for your different uh, delivery orders like Grubhub or DoorDash or uh, you know Uber Eats, all that, because I know a lot of people are using those types of apps right now. I use those types of apps. So, you know, if you if you want to have one password, but for different categories of services, that's where you want to start. Now, after that, um, it is best to have a different uh, password for every different service that you use. So how do you do that? So there are different types of password managers And here's the thing with password managers. Um, I'm not a fan of a lot of them that are cloud-based. Why? Because if they're cloud-based, that means that they're sitting out there. Nothing is not hackable. I mean, if it's a, a network or computer system, definitely a cloud, especially if it's a service that that the hackers know contains millions of passwords, it's going to be a target. And there have been uh, password keeper cloud services that have been hacked. And then all of a sudden, all those passwords got hacked. So for password uh, keeper types of services, I say if you want to use one of those, use the kind that actually uh, will store the passwords at your own location on your own device. So typically these types of uh, password managers will store like on an external drive or an external USB thumb drive that you have at your own uh, desk uh, or in your home. That's where it will keep all of your passwords so that you control physically that device where all your passwords are at and this is going to make my next tip is something that i'm sure some of the technology purists are going to just have their heads explode but um write it down in a book i have my home office and right now most people have home offices set up i have in this book all of my ids and passwords written down and when i don't need to use it i have my 
uh, safe. It's not anything fancy. It's a home safe. I keep it locked in my home safe. Now, here's the, the very important point. Who's going to get to the home safe in my office on the third floor? They'll have to get first into my house through my security system. Then they're going to have to get past my two Doberman uh, dogs who are very loyal to me. <laughs> then they're going to have to figure out where that is even located because it's not obvious. So for those of you who say, oh, never write it down, it's okay to write it down so it's not just sitting on top of their desk or visible during their Zoom meetings. You don't want it to be visible there where they're looking through their <laughs> their book. Don't plan to throw a, a surprise party at Rebecca. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exactly. are we are we any more at risk having certain websites remember our passwords? Just make sure you don't use that same password that you're automatically authenticating to at your other sites. Uh, so that way, if it does get compromised, it's not something that's going to impact you in all of the sites where you have a password needed. I have a lot of homework to do this weekend. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, gosh. So Rebecca, I've heard that um, passphrases can be better than passwords. Is that true? Is it better to say, I love tequila on the beach than coming up with just a password, you know, sure. or does it not really matter? I love tequila on the beach, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need tequila after this. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the key. You don't want to make it a passphrase that people know would be associated with you. Common sense, yeah. Yeah, so, but, you know, it's common sense, but it's not always so common because you would be surprised at the types of passphrases that people use. So don't use the names of your children. Don't use the name of your company you work for. Make sure that as part of your passphrase, too, that you aren't just using uh, alpha characters because there are tools that can crack passwords. So use upper and lowercase, use special characters and use numbers. That makes it a much harder for these password cracker tools to break. That's a great tip. So I have one more question regarding storage of the passwords, because I know many, many people that store their passwords as a note on their phones. Um, what do you have to say about that? If you store it as a note in your phone and I'm sitting at a coffee shop or, you know, at the airport and I'm just, you know, eh, let's see what's going on around me. Um, oh, somebody's using the free Wi-Fi here uh, or they're, you know, they're using the same uh, LT service that I have. If you don't have that data encrypted on your phone, then there are tools then I could potentially get into that note, because like you said, a lot of people use that, right? So that's the key. If a lot of people use a certain type of tool or um, feature of a phone or computer, then the cyber crooks and hackers and criminals are going to know that a lot of people use that. So those are the locations they're going to go directly to to see what's interesting. There's some just basic things like strong authentication through very good passwords and multi-factor authentication and also using encryption. If people would just do those things right there, that would probably cut down on the, the different types of successful privacy breaches by a huge amount. Let's talk about mail-in voting. November's coming up. There's a lot of controversy behind 
mail-in voting or people that prefer to that we all stand in line for privacy issues. Um, so you are the privacy professor. Let's go for it. Different states have different rules for how people vote. And when you're looking at all of those different um, voting solutions, everyone needs to keep in mind that every one of those solutions needs to be secured. Each system needs to be secured and thoughtfully engineered to address these situations. So when it comes to mail-in voting, uh, a lot of people are afraid that, well, what happens if somebody decides they're just going to send in a lot of ballots, uh, you know, for one person? So they're stuffing the box, if you will. Well, with mail-in uh, voting, if you have it set up to make sure that the ballot has the control uh, code on there that's associated with only one person and only one vote then is recorded because of that one ballot that is unique to that voter, you're not going to get ballot stuffing. Uh, here in Iowa, probably about 60% of my votes have been through absentee mail-in voting. It's a physical ballot. I physically mark who I want to vote for, and I put it into what's, they have what's called a secrecy folder. I put it into the folder, and then I have to put it into a special envelope that also has a code on it so that uh, whenever I return it, they will know that that particular envelope with that code and then my vote, which is inside of a secrecy envelope, those have been accounted for, but it's still maintaining my um, anonymous vote. And once I have voted in their system, they show Rebecca Harold has voted. Do not let anyone else, you know, come in and vote, not even at the polling place. So on voting day, when somebody else goes in and if they say that they're Rebecca Harold, They'll say, well, no, you've already voted. Too many people think that attempted voter fraud is successful voter fraud. The fact that it's stopped, it means the fraud did not go through. If you have the proper procedures and controls in place, and even though it's mail-in voting with physical ballots, those digital barcodes can keep track of where your ballot is at any point in time, and it can be done in a way that keeps your vote anonymous and it can make sure that only one person gets one vote. And so I just view that as such a very good way to vote and stay safe uh, during a pandemic. It's the multi-factor authentication principle that you were talking about in our previous conversation with our devices, really. It's having multiple checkpoints along the way. Yes, I love that. That's exactly right. That's a really good way to describe it. I mean, it, it helps to ensure that a person gets their vote, but they don't try to get more than one vote. Exactly. You look at the state of Washington, you look at the state of Oregon, they're all mail-in voting. I think we're around 12 or 13 that offer, you know, a lot of just mail-in voting, if that's the only way you want to do it, or that is the only way to do it. So they've got their processes established they've worked out the kinks they know that every person gets one vote and only one vote and they have found very very little fraud but they have high participation which i think is great in a democracy if you have a computer system that is a standalone meaning 
no other computers are connected to it. Um, and it's not got any type of wireless transmissions. It's just a machine sitting there that's doing its thing. You're putting something physical into it and it's computing based on the code that it recognizes. It's going to be very hard, if not impossible, to hack a device that is just a standalone that has absolutely no way to get into it. Tune in next week where we'll have more great data privacy tips in part two of our conversation with the privacy professor, Rebecca Harold. That'll air Tuesday, November 3rd, which here in the U.S. is also election day. So if you're joining us from America, make sure you get out and vote. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.